Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Talking Research. I'm Mark Harris, Chief Investment Officer at Square Mile, and today I'm talking the role of central banks in inflation, what impact interest rate increases will have on the consumer, and more with Hugh Gimber, Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management, and James Ashley, Head of Market Strategy at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Thank you both for joining me. So let's start with the 50 basis point increase in interest rates from the Bank of England, which has raised borrowing costs to 1.75%, which is their highest since 2009. But why have they done this, especially as they cannot control inflation? Hugh? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Mark. Always good to speak to you. I think in terms of what the Bank of England is trying to do here, they said at their last meeting, if they felt that inflationary pressures were becoming more persistent across the economy, that they would be willing to act forcefully. So today's 50 basis point hike is really their definition of forceful. They are trying to send a signal that they are uncomfortable with current levels of inflation. And something that Bailey said several times during the press conference was no ifs, no buts, we will get inflation back down to target. So there's a strong signaling element to this here. But I think you're right. Lots of what is driving inflation, particularly around energy prices, does sit out of their control. So what they're really focused on is the domestic aspects that they can influence, particularly when you look to what's happening in labour markets and trying to really slow down some of the strong growth in wages that we've seen come about because of the strong demand for workers. And James? I mean, I, I agree with every single word of that. The, the point I would really emphasize is the word credibility, that we're talking here about inflation, price inflation, far outstripping anything that any central bank would be comfortable with. The focus, of course, now is on the bank's target CPI, but there's clearly a lot of indexation in the UK economy that still relates back to RPI, um, which is a very de deficient measure of inflation, but for historical reasons, things like student loans, train fares, mobile phone contracts, a lot of them are indexed to RPI. And if you look at the likely path for RPI over the next few quarters, we're looking at perhaps something reaching 17 or 18%. And the danger is, therefore, that that indexation, therefore, gets embedded within expectations. And rather than having this terrible, but albeit transitory spike in inflation throughout 2022, it then spills over into something altogether more persistent into 2023. So it's that long-term trajectory that the bank is trying to tame. I think acknowledging it in the short term, there really is very little they can do. We all know that utility prices are going to be unfortunately taking another leg higher later this year and possibly in the early part of 2023. There's nothing monetary policy can do to affect that. So it's really that medium term and trying to make sure that medium term expectations remain solidly anchored, thus preserving the bank's credibility in the face of what's a really difficult economic challenge for them. Thank you. And, and what does this have effects? Does this have on the UK consumer? A weaker housing market? Does, does employment stay pretty full as it is at the moment? James, if you could take that first. So it's really quite interesting, actually, if you look at a lot of the consumer and household elements of the UK economy, they've been quite resilient so far. And yet at the same time, if you look at UK consumer confidence, it's absolutely collapsed. And I think collapse is the correct word there. If you look at the level of consumer confidence is the lowest it's ever been going back to 1970s. And the change in consumer confidence is the most negative change you've seen over a 12 month period. So it's not just weak, but it's become rapidly weak. And yet, if you contrast that to where the labor market is, that's still pretty solid. If you look at the housing market, we're still dealing with 
double digits house price inflation. I tend to think that those indicators like the labor market and the housing market, they tell you more about where we've just come from. You don't just wake up today and say, okay, I'm going to transact on a house or employers don't decide today we're going to hire a bunch of workers. That reflects where you were a few months ago when you were deciding whether to apply for a mortgage or to expand your business. Whereas what you see on consumer confidence is a genuine reflection of what households are thinking and feeling today. So the collapse that we've seen in consumer confidence, I think is probably a lead indicator that things like the housing market are going to lose a bit of momentum. Things like the labor market are going to deteriorate a little bit, maybe not rapidly, maybe not dramatically, but I think it's hard to see how the UK economy doesn't experience rising unemployment over the next few quarters. Thank you. Hugh? Yeah, I mean, a couple of points I'd add to that. So I, I agree that I think the unemployment rate is likely to rise, but it's important to stress that we're starting from a very strong point. So if you look, for example, at the amount of job vacancies that are still open in the UK economy relative to the amount of available workers, this is a labour market that is stretched. And so there's some room for the labour market to soften without needing to see a big spike higher in the unemployment rate straight away. The only other point I'd add is that I think it's really interesting at the moment to question whether you're looking at the economy in nominal or in real terms. Because you take that uh, consumer outlook, for example, and consumer confidence, all-time lows, but people are still spending. They're just buying fewer things at higher prices. So some of the data that's coming through, such as retail sales, looks okay if you look at it in nominal terms, because the absolute amount that's being spent on retail is still relatively high, even though consumers are saying, well, this isn't very fun because I can't buy as much. I'm just having to spend a lot more to do so. So I often think at the moment, it's really important when analyzing any kind of economic data to be crystal clear in thinking, how does inflation play into this? Because you can get some quite different conclusions. And will such a move in lifting interest rates prevent a spiral in wage demands and thus avoid inflation becoming embedded in the economy? And I'll turn to you, Hugh, to start with that, please. Well, first thing to say is that's absolutely the hope. So the Bank of England, I thought, was quite explicit in today's statement in saying that they are watching the labour market very carefully and they really don't want to see that kind of wage price spiral. Really, that is the nightmare scenario for the central banks, that you go back to a 70s type issue. I'm sure we were going to reference the 70s at some point. So there's the first time I mention it. But you get back to that kind of feeling where inflation expectations become unanchored and the central banks really feel like they're losing control. So this is what they're watching most closely. You go back to comments from Andrew Bailey earlier in the year where he was saying, I really hope that workers aren't going to go out and ask for higher pay. A fairly unpopular thing to be quoted on on the front page of the newspapers. But that's exactly why, to come back to James's point around credibility, they feel like they have to be sending this signal. My expectation is that wage growth is likely to cool over the coming months because of that view on the labour market, that we're probably now approaching the point where the labour market is at its strongest if we've not already got there. And therefore, that as demand for labour starts to cool, as the economy weakens, I do expect that wages will start to cool down. But the, the sort of counter argument to that would be definitely the biggest nightmare out there for the Bank of England. And James? 
Well, if he's going to use the 1970s, let's get the other uh, bogeyman word in there, which is recession. I, think we, I don't think we've used that yet, but we are looking at a very real possibility of a UK recession. And if you look at the Bank of England's latest forecast, they are now for the first time in this cycle explicitly forecasting that. So beginning in Q4, uh, when we get that next leg up in utility prices, the squeeze that you're going to see primarily on household incomes, but generally across most elements of nominal demand, probably mean we're looking at uh, a UK recession for how many quarters, how deep, that, that's where the debate is, but a recession looks likely. If you have a recession, it is very hard to see how you don't get that drift up in unemployment, which, back to Hugh's point, I absolutely agree. We, we, we begin at a very strong starting point, so um, the labour market is tight. But if you're going to experience rising unemployment, I find it difficult to see how wage inflation doesn't moderate. So... Uh, whether or not the Bank of England has, has agency in, in that, whether or not them raising interest rates is going to be the key determinant of whether wages remain relatively subdued or whether that's just going to be a natural reflection of where the economy goes, it's almost a moot point. I, I think we will see subdued wage inflation. And James, that's a nice segue onto the next topic, which really is in terms of the forthcoming outlook, is a shallow recession really the best one that we can now expect? Yes. I mean, let, let's 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 call a spade a spade. Yes, there, in 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 very brief terms, there are four elements to GDP, and four things alone: it's consumption, investment, government spending, and trade. That's GDP. That's the entire economy. Those four things. So, which of those do we think is going to continue growing to prevent us going into a recession? Is it going to be net trade? Well, where are we going to export to? Where is not experiencing these same pressures? So, it's it's hard to see how we export our way out of this. Is it going to be government spending? Well, no, we're during a period right now of fiscal retrenchment as we clean up the aftermath of the COVID crisis. So unless there's a big reversal in fiscal strategy, which doesn't appear to be on the cards, that's not going to be the solution. Is it going to be investment? Hard to see how that's the case, given all of the uncertainty, which is clearly going to disincentivize firms from investing at the same time that the cost of investing, interest rates, is moving higher. So then we're left looking at consumption, where we've just said you know, wage inflation is going to be moderating, in our opinion, and yet price inflation is going to remain quite elevated for some period of time. So again, back to Hugh's distinction between nominal and real, real consumption, so consumption adjusted for price inflation, is likely to be contracting. You put that together, I struggle to see how we avoid a recession in the UK. The key question now is how long, how deep? And Hugh, is it a similar gloomy scenario from you? I'd love to be more optimistic, but I think that's a pretty accurate assessment of where we are. Perhaps one area that I might just challenge is around the outlook for government spending, because we don't yet know who the next prime minister will be, but a new prime minister is going to be coming in in September, and they're going to be met very shortly afterwards with the next adjustment to the energy price cap due on the 1st of October, which is going to be very, very painful for large parts of the UK economy. And so with that context, I think it's going to be quite difficult not to see the next prime minister turning to some sort of fiscal stimulus to try and offer some support. But I do agree that that is likely sort of a, a, an offset to a weaker scenario. I think it's designed to dampen the full impact of that energy price crunch rather than going to be driving growth higher. So yes, I do think a recession now looks quite inevitable. But the government aspect of that, I think, is one reason why we might not be facing a very deep recession, provided that they can do enough to shelter some of the 
lower income parts of the economy against the full impact of those higher energy bills. And turning to inflation, clearly rising commodity prices has been a major driver of the heightened inflation figures we're seeing everywhere. And yet we've seen a weakening in many commodity prices of late. And the question is, could this be the big story for the second half of 2022? What are your thoughts on that, Hugh? So for me, it really depends on which commodity you're talking about, because I completely agree with you that in many areas of the commodity markets, we've seen a really significant softening over the past few months. And that comes back to that recession word, right? Your markets are starting to factor in now that demand for industrial commodities is likely to slow as the global economy slows over the coming months. And therefore, you've seen the retracement in oil prices uh, and some of the metals as well. I think gas is the one that stands out as being the completely opposite scenario, where you've seen a big push higher in natural gas prices as fears of that supply disruption really start to be baked into the market. And that, I think, could be quite overwhelming. So what the central banks are hoping for is that they see a broad-based decline in commodity prices over the second half of this year. But the risk scenario for me is that you see all of the benefits of lower oil prices or lower metals prices being overwhelmed by higher gas prices. And we know in the UK, okay, we only import a very small percentage of our gas from Russia directly. But A, we are big importers overall from places like Norway, from Qatar. So you're vulnerable to paying open market prices. And we use natural gas relatively high proportions to create our electricity. So in that perspective, I think the UK stands out as being very vulnerable to natural gas prices, even if that direct linkage to Russia is relatively low. And your thoughts, James? The one element I would throw into the mix on this is that if you look at, well, a lot of what we've been talking about so far is global economics. And we've been treating the global system as being almost homogenous. And we, we know that's a massive simplification. We just don't have time to getting into the granular details of this. But essentially, we're talking about monetary policy tightening, fiscal policy being consolidating, uh, and inflation being rampant in, in many regions. The big caveat to that is that if you look at China, in China's case, you've actually got fiscal easing. You've got the PBOC keeping monetary policy very, very loose. There is no rampant inflation in China. And a lot of that reflects the COVID-related lockdowns that much of China has been in for most of this year and large parts of China remain in. So if we're thinking about the implications for commodity prices, the one obvious potential upside comes from if or when China reopens. At that point, you start to see China's industrial base mobilizing and the demand for energy, the demand for industrial metals, and so on and so forth starts to come back quite strongly. So globally, the message we've been sharing on this this podcast is one in which it's quite somber from an economic perspective and certainly for western europe and for for north america we are expecting this slowdown which has clearly got negative implications for commodities in general albeit in a differentiated way as you quite rightly pointed out but the upside i think comes from potentially china reopening the question then is well when do we think that will happen and how quickly And there's been an understandable focus on energy supplies. Um, But should we be more uh, worried about food supplies than oil supplies, both in terms of supply and inflation? Uh, James, if you'd like to respond to that first. I I don't know how to compare the two. Should we be worried about it? Yes. But in terms of, you know, food versus energy, they are both 
essential essential elements of secure living so we can address this either from an investor perspective and indeed for this podcast that's what we should be doing probably but from a compassionate perspective you know basic needs of food and energy um it shouldn't really be a choice between one or the other so we're in a situation where they are both huge concerns for households and indeed for many businesses um from the food perspective clearly in recent days past couple of weeks we've seen some encouraging signs from the situation in ukraine where the first shipments of grain have started to leave odessa how long that remains in place for is something that i'm not positioned to be able to address but it's clearly going to be a huge focal point the question then is are we seeing the next crops the next harvest being planted for the next season i don't know I don't know. There's just there's too many uncertain variables around that. But certainly, should we have regard to that? Yes. And you start to see this now becoming part of the mainstream conversation amongst investors. You see publications like the Financial Times and The Economist running front page stories on it that food security and food provision and distribution has now become a huge issue. And I think that will absolutely remain the case, certainly for the second half of this year and probably well into 2023. And Hugh? So the only point I'd add is around the impact on emerging markets, uh, because clearly developed market central banks are very focused on the impact um, of higher food prices on their inflation baskets. But in EM, this is going to be an even bigger issue, because if you take the UK, for example, food uh, and non-alcoholic drinks are roughly 10 percent of our inflation basket. Whereas you go over to Latin America, that becomes about 20 percent. And you look at some of the emerging markets in Asia and you get north of 30 percent. So I think this is clearly going to be a, a very significant issue. But one area that I'll be watching very closely is the way in which this creates greater divergence across the emerging markets, depending on when you're a food importer or a food exporter. Because if you have in, um, your sort of food as about 30 percent of your inflation basket and you're importing most of that food, then I think that creates some real risks as well. So certainly plenty to watch. Well, thank you both for joining me today. It's been great to hear your thoughts and thank you to the listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talking Research. To keep up to date with the series, please subscribe to our newsletter or you can follow us on Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you again. This podcast was recorded on the 4th of August, 2022. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice for taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering that past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that I mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.